Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. We are looking forward to the resurrection of the church. That's Jesus coming for us. But that's only one of many resurrections that have happened and will happen yet to come. Find out about it today as we dig into the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Boy, with world events happening so rapidly around us, we can tell the resurrection of the church, the rapture of the church is coming very soon. That's what we've been discussing. This is a, probably a two-week series. I thought it was gonna be maybe three or four days, but I think it might turn into a two-week series. I just keep finding more and more about the resurrection and the uh, the uh, rapture of the church as going to heaven. But with everything happening around us in the world today, it's coming very soon. And I can't think of a better time to talk about it than something that may be just around the corner. Of course, just around the corner with God might be two, three, four, ten 10 years, who knows? But with us, on the other hand, we can't learn enough about the coming rapture of the church or the resurrection of the saints to meet Jesus in the air. What happened here in Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, if you wanna go ahead and turn there, that's where we've been discussing for now a number of lessons. And up until now, Paul has been defending with the Corinthian congregation the concept of resurrection. The reason why was in the Corinthian religion that they had, which was really idolatry, that uh, they were taught by Socrates and Plato that the body is evil. The soul on the inside, the inward man is good, and really death just frees you from this terrible trap, this jail that you're in all of your life, and that you leave the body, and you float across the river sticks and into the Elysian fields, and you're there forever and forever. And so, but the thought of getting another body back was abhorrent to them. In fact, some of them even regretted getting saved because this whole concept just went against what they had been taught. And Paul's trying to tell them, listen, God doesn't do anything for you that isn't good. And a resurrection body is gonna be good. And yes, this present body we have is under a curse brought about by Adam, but God's gonna give us a new type of body. But he had to convince them first of resurrection. And up until now, Paul has been basically debating them. And so from now, he's been talking about an argument, but starting with today, we're gonna get, just get into the teaching on resurrection. Once he finally captures their attention, gets them to listen to what he's saying, he's going to talk about how wonderful a resurrection body is and how that Jesus has a resurrection body and one day we all will have a resurrection body just like his. And so this is what Paul is bringing out. So up until now, Paul's been debating them and we've talked about debater's technique. Paul has used debater's technique and that is if you're in debate with somebody, oftentimes it's good to assume they're right. You actually catch them off guard. Okay, let's just assume you're right. But then conduct them down a road, take them down a road and show them if that means, if you believe in this, it means you have to believe that. If you have to believe this, you have to believe that. And finally, at the end, you actually prove them wrong by assuming their side. And that's what Paul's done up until now. So now we're going to get mainly into the teaching of the resurrection. And we're going to begin with verse 29. I don't know how far we're going to get in this broadcast today, but we're going to take verse 29. Paul now says, otherwise, what shall they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, then why are they baptized for the dead? This verse has been taught from the concept of, and many have taught, thought this was saying, that we in life can be baptized for a dead person. In other words, if a person's gone to hell, we can be baptized for them, that'll transfer them into heaven. Now that is not what this is saying. 
Up until now, he's been talking about the testimony that you give when you're water baptized. You know, when you're born again, you actually pass from death to life. And the Bible talks about that even when you're born again, you're baptized into the body of Christ. But we have a physical baptism, which is an outward testimony for the people that are there. And when people got water baptized back in the days of the New Testament, they were water baptized oftentimes in the city of Jerusalem and or in the area of Galilee, they were taken to the Sea of Galilee and baptized there or in the Jordan River. And so around would be people everywhere. Oftentimes, this is what it was said, is that people would go into the water and they would, uh, uh, many of them would even go in and take their clothes off. In fact, one of the major things to do is be in the water and take your outer garment off and just let it float down the river. When you got to the other side, somebody greeted you and wrapped you in a garment and took you out of there. And so this is what water baptism symbolizes. Water baptism doesn't save you, but it shows you what has happened and also talks to the people that are surrounding you at that time. I have accepted Jesus Christ. I have been taken and baptized into Christ. And then I, with, I was baptized with Christ. In other words, I was uh, died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. I came alive in Christ. I came back from the dead with Christ. And now I walk away from here today in newness of life. This was what the symbolism was. Again, it didn't save you, but it was an outward testimony for everyone standing on the shore on this side, the shore on this side is to look, I've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. But he's now beginning to point out something else. There's not only a group of people watching you here. There's not only a uh, uh, entourage of people that are witnessing what you're doing. There's also some witnesses in heaven that are watching because they're going to join us too in a resurrection body. People who have died are not in a resurrection body now. They are in heaven in spirit form. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12 that the spirits of just men are in heaven. Notice they're in spirit form. Uh, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples, three of them, Peter, James, and John were watching from a distance, two Old Testament heroes appeared to them. It said, no, they didn't appear to Jesus. He saw them. It said they appeared unto them. Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus, and what they saw was their spirits. We've often had debates, what is your spirit? People often say, well, it's, it's part of you. No, it is you. You are a spirit. And the part in the spirit that also is there is the soul. The soul is contained within the spirit, but all this lives in a body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. But when the body is gone, the spirit goes to heaven and the soul goes with it. And so in heaven, you're in spirit form. And that spirit with coming back to this earth was made to where they could see it. I mean, they might've been transparent, but they could at least see it there. And this was the spirit of Moses and Elijah that they saw. Well, those spirits are on the other side, but they witness what we're doing down here. I know that I have been in, around beds where people have died and while they were dying, they said, well, I see grandpa there. Well, grandpa died years ago. My mom, when she was dying for an entire week before she died, my dad came to see her and he had died 22 years before this. And my sister and I were there. She said, Sam came to see me today. We went, I mean, it's like, she was just taking it for granted. It was no big deal to her. She didn't say, isn't that amazing? He came from, no, she just said, he's been here to see me the past couple of days. And at first we doubted her. And then all of a sudden she began to talk about that we've talked with each other and we thought, oh my goodness, he has come to see her. But that was his spirit.
And his spirit came to where she could actually see it. And so she was actually in a transition between this life and the life to come. So as she was transitioning over, she could see us on this side. She could see him on that side. Well, let me say this, that my dad probably witnessed a number of things here on this earth. We've talked about, well, I wish dad was here. Well, maybe he is here. He's in, he's in spirit form. He's watching what's going on. He's watching from that side. When a person is water baptized, they're not only baptized for the people standing on this shore. They're water baptized for the people standing on that shore. What are they saying? There's going to come a day we're all going to come together. Right now we're separated. And the separation is this. We're on earth. You're in heaven. We're in a natural body. You've lost your natural body. But we're going to come together and we're all going to have a resurrection body so that water baptism speaks to those on this side and speaks to those on that side. Let's read that verse of scripture again. And you'll see it this time. Otherwise, what shall they do who are baptized for the dead? For a testimony for the dead the people that are witnessing what's going on, if the dead do not rise at all, if there is no resurrection, then why on this side are we baptized for the dead on that side? Because the ending of baptism is to come back up out of the water. That not only represents the fact that you and I have been born again and risen to newness of life, it also indicates that those who have died in the ground, their bodies have deteriorated down there, are gonna come back up with a brand new body. So there's a dual meaning to water baptism. Water baptism doesn't just only show that you've received Jesus, but points to a time when the family in heaven and the family on earth will be joined together. Baptism is one of three rituals for the church age. There is communion, there is water baptism, and there's anointing with oil for healing in James chapter 5. These replace the many rituals of the Old Testament, which were filled by the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But there's now three that symbolize something past the resurrection and are three rituals for the time period we live in. Since Jesus fulfilled all those, he didn't leave that ritual, but he's reduced them greatly by the number of rituals. I'm so glad we don't have to bring a, a heifer to church. You don't have to bring a heifer to church. And I was real glad I didn't have to kill that thing. I'm glad we don't have all those rituals back then. But here's what happened. These replaced the many rituals of the Old Testament, which were filled again by the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And water baptism symbolizes our identification with the work of Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and symbolizes our death with Jesus. We were crucified with him. We died with him. We were buried with him. We were quickened with him. We were raised with him to newness of life. It symbolizes our death with Jesus and our resurrection into the new birth with him. But it also goes one step further. In this chapter, dealing with the resurrection and the coming resurrection of the church to receive resurrection bodies, it also symbolizes that, which means that water baptism has a dual representation to the new birth, but also to the coming resurrection. Paul also brings out that it represents the coming resurrection of the church age believers, which when we are baptized, born again, now when we are baptized, we are observed by the saints who have gone on and tells of the coming rapture of the church where we will all receive a resurrection body. The dead in Christ shall rise first. They're going to come back with him. They'll come back with him and they'll come back and their their natural bodies, which have turned to dust or to ashes, will come back into a brand new body, a resurrection body. Then we who are alive and remain 
shall be caught up together with them and we'll all go to meet the Lord in the air. And he's simply saying, why are they water baptized for those that are observing in heaven if there is no resurrection from the dead? They understood this. We don't understand this. In fact, it wasn't until I read this verse of scripture that I realized that water baptism symbolizes also not only the resurrection I have had spiritually when I received Jesus as Lord and Savior, but represents a physical resurrection to come here in just a short period of time where the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's those that are in heaven in spirit form. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. Until that day, until the resurrection of the church, the family of God will always be divided. Part in heaven, part on earth. The part in heaven is just in spirit form. The part on earth has a physical body, which is under the curse and will be replaced one day. It simply comes down to this Ephesians 3, 14. For this cause, I bow my knee to the father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Until the resurrection, the rapture of the church, the family will always be divided. And one purpose of the rapture of the church is to get the whole body together in heaven, in a resurrection body, so we can go through the judgment seat of Christ. Then we will come back with him at the end of those seven years of tribulation on earth and at the end of the judgment seat of Christ, and we will come back as a bride adorned for her husband. Wow. So when we come back, we'll continue talking from there. We have a, an offer for you on the resurrection, on the subject of resurrection. I know you're going to be blessed and I'll see you right after the break. In the meantime, thank you for watching. In fact, if you're new today, welcome to the broadcast. We know that you're going to enjoy it. I think you will. I mean, you know, I think I'm pretty good, but we'll see what you think about it. But again, thanks for joining in with us. And right after the break, halftime, we will come back and I'll see you then. When a Christian has passed away, we do not bury them. We plant them for a future harvest. One day, all Christians will put on a resurrection body. Our resurrection bodies will carry the image of Jesus. We will have bodies that will possess everlasting life. In this exciting six-part series, Pastor Bob Yandian provides a detailed study of the future resurrection of every born-again believer. Messages include a foundation doctrine. What if there is no resurrection? What is baptism for the dead? Sowing, reaping, and resurrection our incorruptible body, and the exception generation. To order Resurrection, go to bobyandian.com. A new book just came in. I've been waiting on this book, Theology Simplified. This is a class I teach at Karis Bible College. And I've been waiting to put this into a book. It's eight different theological terms that sound difficult but actually are very simple. I just simply think the Bible sometimes is filled with complicated sounding words, but you break it down, it becomes very simple. This book is called Theology Simplified. Let me tell you what all it covers. It covers predestination. It covers reconciliation and sanctification. It covers glorification, justification. Redemption, propitiation, and election are all covered in this book. And again, big words with simple meanings. I bring it down to you. Go to my website, bobtheandian.com. You'll find how you can have a copy for yourself. Blessings upon blessings to you. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. 
If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Well, wow, we got through one whole verse in that first half of this broadcast. We should move a little faster now. Verse 29 said again, when we are water baptized, we not only show those people standing here or sitting here in the auditorium or wherever we are, or standing on a shore somewhere around a running river, or I was baptized in a lake here outside of Tulsa when I was water baptized. My dad pastored. We didn't have a water baptismal, so we all had us go to a lake and got baptized. And people stood around the edge and watched young Bobby back there get baptized. Well, that's not only happened here, but we point out in this verse of scripture, verse 29, other word, otherwise, what shall they do who are baptized for the dead? Those who are being baptized on this side are being baptized for a testimony to us of giving their life to Jesus, but also a testimony of those who have gone on to be with the Lord in heaven of the coming rapture of the church when we will all, the family in heaven and the family on earth, receive a resurrection body. Why are they then baptized for the dead or as a testimony for the dead if there is no resurrection to come. Now in verse 30, Paul brings it out to what it means to he and his and his followers who are on this earth, his ministers traveling with him. Paul's giving a testimony here of he and Timothy and Titus and, and others around him, Luke and others that are traveling with him. And he says, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Verse 30, Paul and his team were in constant danger at all times in each city he preached at. If life is all there is, why spend it in constant danger of death at the hands of religious crowds? If we only have hope in this life, why not make the most of every minute and just enjoy it, have a party? Paul says, if there is no resurrection, no coming new life in heaven, no resurrection uh, that we stand before him in a brand new body, then why am I going through all this? I should just soon give it up. Verse 31, I protest. He says, I stand here against you and take this oath against you by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. Now, he didn't mean here physically he died. He simply meant he lived in death threats every single day. Death threats were not something Paul faced on some occasions. It was a daily occurrence. These threats and fear of death were almost as bad as dying itself would have been. The possibility of dying accompanied Paul and those who travel with him wherever he went. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says this through verse 33. Are they ministers of Christ? Speaking here about those people, the religious crowd that constantly harassed him. Are they really ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. He'd been beaten so often. In prisons more frequent, in death more often. He said they might've been in jail once in a while, but I'm in it. I'm threatened with it all the time. Of the Jews, five times I received 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered a shipwreck. A night and a day I was in the deep sea, in travelings often, in perils on water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Perils means I was this close to death every single day. Verse 27, in weariness and painfulness, in sleepless nights often, in hunger, in thirstings, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside these things that are without or on the outside, that which come upon me daily, the care of the churches. I also carried an internal uh, struggle, taking care of all those churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who's offended? And I don't burn out. 
If I must needs boast, I will boast of the things which deal with my physical threats. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I do not lie. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas guarded the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. And I was let down through a window in a basket by the wall and escaped his hands. We come back to the verse of scripture we've been dealing with here in 1 Corinthians 15, back to verse 32. And now he says again, I've been in perils often, all these things he says. But in verse 32 now of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, if after the manner of men, he said, I'm speaking strictly from a human viewpoint. He says, this didn't really happen. I'm going to use an analogy here of what I've gone through. I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. The fighting with beasts is a reference back to what Christians were being done in Rome and they were being fed to the lions. He said, I wasn't fighting physical lions, although it would have been nice. At least a lion would eat you and you're dead within minutes. He said, these guys torture you and torture you. He said, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. The beast he's referring to here is again, the religious leaders. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about those that harass him and follow him. And then he goes on to say, what does it benefit me if the dead don't rise at all? If I have fought with all this and there's nothing past death, why am I doing all this? That would be stupid to do all these things, but I do it because why? He says, because what's happening is I know that life is temporary here on earth, but heaven is eternal and a resurrection body is eternal. I'm going through this short period of time knowing that forever and forever, I'm going to have a resurrection body. So he says again, if I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what does it benefit me? If there is no resurrection from the dead, let us just eat, drink, and tomorrow we die. Why not just party? Why not be born again and at least have a little peace in life if all this that the new birth is for is to give you some peace in life and there really is no, is no such thing as eternal life. We just die and we're gone. He said, why not just get born again and have a party until the day you die? Because that's all it's good for. In Ephesus, the gladiators fought with lions in the arena as they did also in Rome until they died. Paul likened his spiritual battles and suffering to those men. Again, Paul said that if in this life we only have hope, that was verse 19, we are more miserable than a sinner. Why would Paul put up with constant death threats if there was no resurrection in the future? And why not just spend the rest of your life partying? Why go through all the problems of life if if this is all there is? Remember that song, Is This All There Is? Why suffer persecution if when we die, it's all over? Let's party, enjoy this shallow life, and then let's die. No, it's more than that. Why am I saying that? Because folks, the coming resurrection is the great hope of the church. The rapture of the church is the great hope we look forward to. He now says in verse 33, be not deceived. Evil companions corrupt good manners or good morals. What's he saying to the Corinthians? Quit hanging around this group of people. They're corrupting you from the beauty of the word of God, the beauty of what Jesus has done. And he says, you've been listening to the wrong crowd. The Corinthians have been listening to those that choose to disagree with Paul and the word of God. Paul lets them know who you hang around is important. If evil friends can corrupt your morals, good friends can raise your morals and bring you blessing. Why not hang around people who believe the word of God? These men have no scripture to stand on. He now says in verse 34, awake to righteousness and do not sin. 
For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Like the prodigal son, come to yourself. Wake up to the life of righteousness. Ephesians 5.14 speaks to carnal Christians, and these Corinthians certainly fall under the, under the definition of carnal Christians. He says in Ephesians 5.14, this is a beautiful representation of what the prodigal son did. Wake up you who are asleep, and then arise from among the dead, and Christ will give you light. He's not saying a Christian who's carnal is dead. He's sleeping among dead people. He said, that's exactly what you're doing. If a hundred dead people were laying here on a floor, but one of them was still alive, but asleep, how do you tell the difference between a sleeping person and 99 dead people? You have to walk around and look for signs of life. Put your fingers under their nose and see, look and see if their stomach or, or their chest is moving up and down to where they're breathing. But otherwise, just glancing at them, you can't tell. That's the way a carnal Christian is. They always go to sleep among dead people. They look like the dead. They act like the dead. The wake-up call for the Corinthians is to separate from the evil companions who have corrupted their morals and the holiness of their lifestyle. We now get to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start with verse 35, sowing and reaping and the resurrection. This one's going to carry us into the next broadcast also. We're going to talk about the coming resurrection and what the word of God has to say about it. And God's going to take and compare this through Paul in these verses of scripture to something that is a theme that runs throughout the word of God, and that is sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. As long as the earth remains, we're told in Genesis 8, as long as the earth remains, there will always be seed time and harvest. And this helps describe so many things in the word of God. I mean, so many things can be taken from this. We can talk about the life of faith. We can talk about giving into the kingdom of God. We can talk about helping others. We can talk about good works. All of these are good seeds that we sow, even the word of God being preached by a pastor. Someone sharing the word of God with us is sowing seed and we're the ground that receives it. So we'll be taking that up when we come back. In the meantime, I just want to say some things to those who are supporters of this broadcast, the faithful, faithful ones. You know, uh, Moses was surrounded by faithful people and two of them, Aaron and Hur, stood beside him and raised up his hands. And through that, they could win the battle. But as long as the hands were down, no matter how great uh, Moses was, no matter how powerful he was, no matter how revered he was in heaven and on earth, he didn't have the power within himself to win the battle. It took those helping around him. I think one of the greatest things about leadership is one day finding out you can't do it by yourself. Oh, you can start it by yourself. I mean, you can have a call and you can begin a church and stuff, but man, you don't get very far down the road before you realize I need some help. And who do you look for? You look for faithful people. God always tells us to look for faithful people. Why? Because through faithful people, the work gets done. When we stand in heaven, God's not going to say to us, well done, good and qualified servant. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. What do they look for? Paul told Timothy, look for faithful men among you who shall be able to teach others also. When you find them, they can't do much. They're just faithful. What do I say? Those who faithfully support this broadcast, I can simply tell you, if you're doing it out of a love for God, and a love for people, then here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna prosper because of this. It's not that you sow trying to prosper. It's not that you give hoping and really looking for a great return back to you. You are so happy that through that seed you sowed, people get saved, 
People begin to get uh, discipled in the things of God. Those that are carnal come back into fellowship with the Lord. This thing goes on and on and on of the great things that happen whenever you sow a seed. And God says, if you sow with that, if you have a love toward people, 1 Corinthians 13, 3, though I give all my goods to the poor and even my body to be burned and don't have love, it profits me nothing. God is simply saying, if you have love, it will profit you. And But you don't look to the profit you're giving here. And those who give because of the great things this broadcast is doing and the way it's spreading, the way it's growing, it's all because of you holding up my hands. And I simply say, thank you. Together, we win the battle and Satan loses. When we come back tomorrow, we can take you up from this very same place. And thank you again for joining me today. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Thank God for you. When a Christian has passed away, we do not bury them. We plant them for a future harvest. One day all Christians will put on a resurrection body. Our resurrection bodies will carry the image of Jesus. We will have bodies that will possess everlasting life. In this exciting six-part series, Pastor Bob Yandian provides a detailed study of the future resurrection of every born-again believer. Messages include a foundation doctrine, what if there is no resurrection? What is baptism for the dead? Sowing, reaping, and resurrection. Our incorruptible body and the exception generation. To order resurrection, go to bobyandian.com. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.